All right, so let's get uh, started with our class. Uh, today is the uh, April 30th, and uh, we're going to take a few weeks to uh, cover a topic that's been on my mind quite a bit. Uh, we're going to, I think, do things maybe a little differently than we have in, in other classes. I'll have this up here for the notes. Uh, for you to see. We're look at a lot of references right now. Actually, this class will have a lot of references to it, but I, I want to cover the topic of the biblical practice of meditation. And I have several reasons for that, but before we get into those reasons and start looking at things, I would like to have a quick word association game. When the topic or the subject of meditation comes up, what what comes to your mind? What splinter. just splinter? What's that? Splinter. Splinter. Okay. What else? Transcendental. Transcendental. Um. Um. That's right. Yeah. Mindfulness. Mind, mindfulness. Mindfulness. Yeah. What else? Yoga. Sure. What else comes to mind as we think about the idea of meditation? Concentration. Concentration. Emptying of the mind. Emptying of the mind, absolutely. Yeah, what else? The Psalms. The Psalms, Psalms, sure. Psalms. What else comes to mind? Well, we're going to we're gonna we're gonna attack this in a couple of different ways, but one of the things that I'd like to uh, help you see is the, I've divided this up into right now about a half dozen lessons, and I want to differentiate between a lesson and a session. So depending on the speed or our velocity, we may get through more than one lesson in one particular class setting, but it it helps me to divide it up into into more digestible Ideas, And so we're going to take a, today a brief survey of the scriptures. And we're going, to, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a look at lesson two, what the significance of our thoughts are. I think that's uh, an area that we're not uh, maybe thinking about as much. What is, what is the significance of our thoughts, of our thoughtful life? Um, then, we'll, then we'll move into what is a biblical definition of meditation. We're going to spend some time on uh, reviewing examples of, uh, of unbiblical or secular or humanistic forms of meditation. Uh, they're everywhere. I've been thinking about meditation for a long time, and I'm surprised at the amount of information coming at us under the guise of the umbrella of meditation. And I think it would be very helpful for us to at least be introduced to those things so we can see how they are false and why, uh, I'm not saying they're evil or even necessarily sinful, but they're not biblical. So there there may be some benefits to be extracted from them, but we shouldn't confuse them uh, with biblical forms of meditation. Then we're we're going to spend some time meditating. We'll spend some time looking at topics of meditation. What's the scope of meditation? What are things that we should be putting into practice, what are the, what's the subject matter, what does it look like? And then we'll look at occasions for meditation. I was a little surprised by this, uh, by the formality of which the Puritans 
uh, dissected opportunities for meditation and how they categorized them. And so we'll look and see what they had to say about it. And maybe that'll be helpful for us to, uh, to get a picture of um, what meditation looks like in daily practice. So we might stop and begin meditating on something. And this will be an opportunity for everybody to participate so we can uh, work through the rust and brush off any, any uh, friction that uh, keeps us from smooth sailing through here. All right, uh, so this is our first lesson. It's a survey of the scriptures, but I want to have this apology up front here on, on, on kind of the purpose of this class. It's not, it's not a topic without its own internal benefit. I, I want to provoke you to obedience. And why is that? Well, the Bible commands us to meditate. I, I think a cursory reading of the scriptures, you would... Most everybody would at least encounter, the Bible tells us to meditate. Okay, so there's an imperative. Now we have an obligation. How are we going to discharge that duty? What is that going to look like? Uh, I'd like to provoke you also to have more splendor in your mind. What is it? What are, are your thoughts delightful? Are your thoughts delightful? Are, are you thinking of glorious things? Are you... Um, are you are your thoughts beautiful? That's an important that's an important part of the Christian life. Um, how about wisdom? How do you acquire wisdom? What's the relationship between meditation and wisdom? Do you understand God's word? Do you understand His ways? Do you understand His world? Does meditation have a role in putting that together? And I hope in the class we'll be able to uh, to see that. Well, we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures, and we're not going to... Uh, there's a certain um, system to this organization, but let's look at first, uh, I think, one of the more famous elements of meditation, and that comes to Joshua. Uh, the book of Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Well, whatever meditation is, sounds like a really good thing. Here we've got God telling Joshua, this is, this is to be a big piece of your life. And we're taking a look at this particular verse to start us off because there are a couple of word families uh, in Hebrew. There are two big ones, and then there's, there's this other one here. We're going to look at this oddity in just a moment, but... We're going to look at this first one. I don't know how to pronounce it. It doesn't matter. Haga and Saya is the other word family. And there's several words associated with it. Sometimes it's the verb form and the noun form. We don't need to worry about that. Uh, but meditation in a, uh, in, as, a, as a word study is kind of difficult to do because we don't have narrow definitions of the word. The word sometimes means this, or it can mean that, which should help you see that that word definition borders other definitions, and that it's not just a narrow, isolated way of looking at it. So when we use this word, such as we have with Joshua here, uh, sometimes it means to meditate. Sometimes it means to mourn, or it can even mean to speak. It can mean imagine. It can mean study, mutter. That's a word we don't use much. It can, it can, it can connote mutter. Uttering, different than mutter. Roaring, 
to talk. It can mean musing. It also has a, a formal proper name to it, higion. Be a solemn song or a sound that's made. So here are all the ways in which that particular word is used. And we're going to look at a few references. Joshua is the first one I picked. We'll go over here to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 have an idea in them that I want to see, kind of the pillars of the Psalter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So here, in the very opening of the book of Psalms, we see this idea that there is someone who is meditating. Now, depending on the translation you're reading, you might find that there's a footnote in there that uh, in Psalm 1, it doesn't say meditate. It might say he ponders. So sometimes these word groups can be helpful because these associated definitions give you another aspect of how you should be thinking about this concept of meditation. So sometimes his delight, uh, sometimes the word is used in the sense that he sits and he ponders. Now, if you were to think about meditation in a broader societal sense, you might not come to the idea of pondering. That may not be how other people are thinking of it, but it's clearly one of the biblical forms that we look at. So this man ponders. It, it broadens the scope of the idea of meditation. So our, the study that we're doing is on the idea of meditation and Sometimes we're going to take a break and look at some words associated with it to make sure we see just how big the garden is. We can move in and out of the different families of plants. So let's look at Psalm 2 here, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? So you might see in your, depending on your translation, the idea of plot here is to imagine or to devise, or to conspire. And I hope it, with these other translations, you get the idea that there is concerted mental effort being put forth to make a plan. It, it defines their mental activity. It's governing their mental activity. And we've got one translation that reads, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? Now, I don't like that translation because it doesn't, it doesn't describe who's devising these plans. It simply describes that they're wasting their time with a bad idea. But it doesn't tell you where that bad idea came from. And that's part of the problem of what's being condemned in Psalm 2, is that the nations are actively plotting against the Lord and his anointed. So sometimes the translation is trying to get at something, but it sort of misses the idea of meditation. So the concerted effort of imagination and device and plot and conspiring is what's being condemned, not merely the waste of time in participating in a bad idea. All right, so let's look at, a, let's look at some more words here, a few other psalms. Psalm 63, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate you on the night watches. This is still part of the, of the, uh, the word group in Joshua, the Haga word group. So when he's sitting alone in bed. What does he have to do? He's left with his thoughts. And what do those thoughts do? He provokes him to the activity of meditation, whatever, whatever that might be. And in Psalm 77, 12, I will also meditate on all your work and 
talk of your deeds. If we think back to the forms of poetry in Hebrew, there's there's a kind of a repetition here of ideas that are synonymous but not exact. He's meditating and he's talking. Those two ideas are related. It's not just what's in your head, but sometimes it's what comes out of your head as well. So Psalm 115.7 has this word in a, in a different way. He says, they have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter or speak through their throat. Well, the, the mocking of, of that idol is that he's incapable of meditating. He's incapable of pondering, of thinking. And it, it's so ineffective, the, the idol is so unanimated that he can't even think and then express that thought through muttering. So we see, again, the relationship between things that happen on the inside and then what would happen on the outside. And the psalmist is mocking these idols. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse or I ponder on the work of your hands. We see the scope of meditation and the idea being provoked here that I'm going to think about these things for quite a bit. So this idea of meditating uh, seems to be important. It's obviously the practice of the psalmist as he's looking at it. It's an observation he makes of idols and of the vanity of thinking either through individuals or through the gods that they produce and sometimes that vanity is expressed as an inability to meditate it's kind of an interesting idea that we have this so as we look through these psalms this is the all the examples i'm going to have for the first word group but what are your impressions of meditation as, just as it's being expressed through this first set of examples here? What comes to mind on what you're seeing? Yeah. Well, one thing in particular that comes out in the first quote from the Joshua 1 is whatever meditation is, is that you will obey all these commandments. Yeah. That it, it's clearly related to being able to change your, your conduct and your behavior to align with what you're meditating on. Yeah, we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about that uh, in our biblical definition, so you have to stay for a couple more lessons. <laughs> so we can, we can get to that to the third lesson, but you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's, not, it's not merely left as an abstract exercise. So that's good. Ricky? I was just struck by who has time to ponder anything today's culture. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, it's like, it's, uh, gives us reason to like, okay, just, you need to stop and think about this. Don't be going off and getting caught up in the world. It's good to stop and think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else comes to mind? All right, well, let's take a look at one other word. Um, this, is, this is kind of weird. Um, Isaac. Remember this reference in Isaac in Genesis 24, 63? He says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming, and 
Now we read this story about uh, him finding a bride and such, and a lot of translations use the idea of, or use the word of meditate to describe Isaac's action. But this episode is entirely devoid of context. It just says, and then Isaac went out and he what? We've got to put a word in there to try to describe what was happening. So some translators use the word, he went out to the field to muse. That's kind of interesting. Some said he went out to pray. He went out to the field to pray. And others say he went out to walk out or went out to walk in a field. Okay, well, is that the same thing as musing and praying? Uh, What was he doing? Why was he there? Um, Another says he just went forth into the plane. He just went off. Nobody knew what was happening here. Um, There's no real reason why we know he was in the field. Uh, Was he just checking on all his livestock? Could be. Did he just like the view? Could be, but we, we, we don't know. Um, and the oddity about this word um, that's being used is that there's this, there's this associated reference to it about walking about, that the idea of meditating, which I think most commentators are pretty convinced it's something about the musing, the pondering, the meditating, but there's this cousin of an idea attached to it about walking about. So it, it makes you wonder, uh, can you meditate while you walk? I think, sure, it's a fabulous idea. Yeah. Going along with the, the secular idea of mindfulness, that was sometimes called meditation, there are scientific studies, per se, that, that they, they relate to walking and, and thinking and, and clarifying your thoughts. They, they go together. Sure. And... and uh, you know, you're talking about how hard it is to do that. Most people anymore don't just go for a walk without listening to something or having music on or something, but just nothing but your thoughts. Uh, it's interesting that you see that Isaac went out and just meditated. Right. So I think it was, when, when you think about the purpose of what Isaac was trying to accomplish, it it had to do with something of thinking. I don't know that the scriptures would present to us this encounter if he simply wanted to check to make sure all the cattle were over in the back 40. I mean, what would be the point of that? So I think the idea certainly has something to do with his thinking. And it, it means it, it, he had something to do that wasn't nothing. So that's the, I think that's the important part. He wasn't out there doing nothing. Nothing is what sleeping rocks dream of, right? <laughs> that's what nothing is. Everybody else is doing something. And this idea being described here is that he went out to use his mind. And he did so by walking around. Now, I, I don't know why uh, but this is, um, I, I think this is what's, the only time this word is being used, I don't, the hapix, it's not a, uh, it's not a word that we find used repeatedly, so it's kind of an outlier. But if maybe it serves no other purpose than having alongside it some extra freight about the walking while we think, it serves a useful purpose to us to not see meditation or thoughtful praying or pondering or musing as simply something that's done in stillness without motion. 
maybe we can think of it in a broader sense just from this reference in Isaac. I don't know. You don't want to put too much thought into these things, oddly. Um, <laughs> so there's another word group, the, the Saya family, and most of the words that we see in meditation are related to this family. And I didn't spend a great deal of time, but it looked at the cursory glance that most of the references to this word are found in the book of Psalms. And I think most of the references to this word family in the book of Psalms are found in Psalm 119. So you can see sort of a cascading uh, density to the, um, the idea of meditation. And we'll take a look at um, the Saya family here. Psalm 77.12 has two references. I put the strongest number there if anybody's interested in that. I will also meditate. That was the one we were using for our first word family. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of all of your deeds. And sometimes this word, uh, the Saya family does mean to speak and mutter. But you can, again, see the relationship that there's something in his head and that comes out of his mouth. It's uh, thoughts that he's having about something. Oh, all your work. And then he begins to verbalize or vocalize this idea. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Princes also sit and speak with me in 119.23, but your servant meditates on your statutes. And then we have in verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on all of your wonderful works. 48, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. A lot of meditation in Psalm 119. I don't know if it's true that every, um, every section out of all 22 sections has something on meditation. It wouldn't surprise me if it did. Or it's certainly true that every section has something to do with the way David was thinking about God's law, whether the restricted word of meditation is used there or not. I, I don't know. I'm going to read one other uh, passage about this word, um, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk about it in the next lesson. But in Psalm 104, in verses 31 through 35, there, I, I'm reading a little more context to this because there's, a, there's an idea in here I want to explore in just a few minutes. It says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. There's a lot of big thoughts inside that passage we just read. Meditation plays a role right in that middle section there. Now, we're, we're going to look at what might be communicated in that in the next lesson. But I want to uh, just leave that with you for a few moments. So as you guys think about meditation and you think about the use of it in the Psalms, what comes to mind for you as you think about what the Psalms have said to you over and through the years and the idea of meditation? We're looking at the concentration of it here. It's used elsewhere, but this is where the concentration is. What comes to mind about thinking of the Psalms in particular in meditating? Prayer. Prayer. Psalms often kind of guide for your daily life in the Word. Meditation is an important part of 
Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. What else comes to mind? I'd say one of the one of the things that comes to my mind as I think about this is the Psalms are poetry, and poetry is uh, unless you're reading Nagda Nash, it's not something that could be read quickly, right? <laughs> unless we're doing limericks, uh, you better spend some time stopping and thinking about what you're reading. I hope I didn't distract you with that Nagda Nash reference. <laughs> if we reel you back in, but poetry requires you to stop and wonder why are these thoughts connected why do the words say what they do what was being intended it's not like reading narrative or other poems, is it what else what other things come to mind about the psalms and meditation it's a lot easier to memorize absolutely it is right I recently went back through this work by O. Palmer Robertson that he has called The Flow of the Psalms. There's a set of lectures that went along with it, and, and he's got a, a complex organizational structure to the Book of Psalms that I find rather fascinating. But the, one of the points he makes is that there does seem to be a deliberate design intent surrounding the compilation of the Psalms as a guide to memory as a way to approach the psalms. This is what's happening in the first half of book five or something like that. So a person would look at it and be able to say, here are things that I can be thinking about to make the psalms more recallable in my mental life. So I, I thought he did a really great job uh, with that idea. So I think you're right. Yeah, Bruce? Maybe, uh, following up on what Marlon said, purposely memorizing, but there's something almost intuitive about about memorizing, something that's set to music. And I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I can remember uh, songs that I listened to on the radio when I was in grade school, junior high, high school. Uh, songs of my high school days still run through my head. And uh, without much thinking, I could, I could sing the whole song. Um, I mean, it's it's there, and there's there's something about about it that can, can take you back to to memories, places, times, and I think God setting the psalms to music, setting His words to music, has a similar effect. It sure does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm glad I grew up in an era of the greatest classic rock and roll. Ever. <laughs> I feel sorry for young people today who missed out on that because that's a shame. But David, it turns out a lot of them still listen to the same. <laughs> they're, they're just now being introduced to it. That's right. Well, let's, let's move on to the New Testament uh, and thinking about, uh, thinking about our thoughts. So the, the New Testament doesn't have as many references to meditation as the Old Testament. It still has a number of them, but it's, they're a little bit different. So we're going to look at a couple of New Testament words, uh, logizami, azami, I think, impute, reckon, count, 
suppose, reason, number. There's some ideas associated with, with that idea. Um, with this word, we've got the idea that there's a careful counting or reckoning or a careful reasoning that you go through to conclude a matter. That's the idea behind it. So we find in Philippians 4, 8, 9, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The, the things you, which you have learned, received, and heard, saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. New King James uses meditate. Other people use think, dwell. Others say, keep your thoughts on these things. Uh, the Amplified Bible says, think continually on these things. There's an idea here that you could see that Paul is, is instructing us to conclude something. First of all, whatever things are true, go on and determine what is true. And how, what, what's one way we do that? By looking at the things and listening to the things that Paul has already instructed us in or the rest of the scriptures have instructed us in. He's saying whatever these things are, look at it and conclude the matter and make this part of your thoughts. So uh, I, think, I think this is a helpful, it's not maybe quite as explicit on the idea of meditate, but it's, it's communicated there that they're the subject matter involved and the process, both are... Both are ideas embedded in this form of meditation. So we'll, we'll look over here at uh, Froneo. We find here, think, regard, mind, savor, be like-minded are all ways this word gets translated. And the idea behind it is to direct one's mind. So it's a conscious effort of control and steering to direct one's mind to a thing that we can seek and strive for. So we find in Colossians 3 here, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And here we find that word, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There it is, set your mind. It's this organizational idea of nothing but your thoughts. Get your thoughts aligned. Put some effort into the organization. So we find another use of it in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds, New King James consistent here, on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So here we have another idea, this kataneo, sometimes translated consider, behold, perceive, or discover, to fix your eyes. It's kind of an, another way of looking at it. It almost sounds Hebraic and that sort of uh, mechanism to, for a body analogy to fix your eyes on something. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of this heavenly calling here in Hebrews 3.1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. It's an important idea that our thoughts are going to control things. We're going to put them together here. I want to look at one other, one other word um, that I hope is familiar to you guys, but it brings together a beautiful idea of meditation, and that's uh, symbolo. So ponder, 
to encounter. It can, it can also mean to encounter, to meet with. But I think the underlying idea in this word is to throw things together, to, to organize and bring them together in your mind. So it's, it's the sim is with, balo I think is the thoughts, to bring the thoughts together. Um, Luke 2.19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So pondered is a common translation of this phrase. Um, the God's word translation says she treasured these things and always thought about them. So here we find a combination of the heart and the mind. What's she doing with the heart? She's valuing it, right? She's treasuring something, and then she's always thinking about her treasure. The Good News Translation says she remembered all these things and then thought deeply about them. That's kind of an interesting idea. Events, circumstances, the scriptures, truth, the world around her. Mary, she remembered all this stuff, and then she spent time thinking deeply about them. New American Standard tells us Mary kept all these things. So there's a sense in which she's putting a guard up to harness the thoughts, to corral them, and then she reflected on them. So again, we're not seeing the word meditate, but that's, that's okay. We don't, we're not limited. It's not just a word study. The word has this constellation of definitions that are related to it that could be very helpful in us bringing it all together. So she reflects on them in her heart. Mary is connecting the dots. Mary is connecting the events, the words she's heard, the actions, she, the experiences, the angelic visions, the things that happened to Joseph, and the events around her, and she's putting it all together, and then she spends a lot of time thinking about it. Kind of interesting. A form of meditation that we find in the New Testament, distinct from the idea of meditating in the Psalms, for instance. So the idea of meditation is not limited to just thinking about the book of Psalms or what God's law. That's an example that David was given to us, but we have another example over here on Mary doing something that's being commended in Scripture for our thought. So the idea of meditation, you're depending on the translation you read, you may find many different words to help convey this. And life would all be simpler if words had one definition, one definition only, and it was very narrow. Um, the world would lack a lot of color, but it would be a lot easier <laughs> to figure out what all these things mean. But here we have an idea of a very broad sense of the use of our minds. That's the point of this survey, is to help us understand that our minds are critically important. Our, our minds. Meditation involves many things, but it starts in the mind. It starts with the idea of consider, reflecting, directing, pondering, musing, thinking. How does that strike you? Meditation as an exercise of the mind. Sort of a considering and filling your mind with things that is involved in meditation. 
I think so. I, I, I think the you've got three options. You can either be thinking of things that are helpful, useful, interesting, wonderful, splendor, beautiful, however you would want to describe that things above, or you can be setting it on things of the earth, or you can be like a sleeping rock. And I don't think you have the option of interpreting the dreams of sleeping rocks. We're a thinking people. Our minds are always thinking about something. So when you ask a guy what's he thinking about, and he says nothing, he doesn't literally mean nothing. He, what he means is nothing important, right? Nothing useful, nothing interesting, nothing worth mentioning. But he's not thinking of nothing. So I, I believe you're right. that It's an inescapable consequence of being a thinking being that you're always thinking of something. You may not be thinking well about it, but you're thinking of something. Somebody else have a hand up over here to miss Vicky? Well, I think, you know, especially if you're in a very busy phase of life, um, it takes real discipline to find time to meditate because there's so many distractions around you. So any tips for me, folks would be very helpful. That'd probably be about lesson six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... Uh, We've got some hole digging for foundations. Uh, we're not we're not out of there yet. It it might not look like a house is going up, but uh, we've dug we dug the first set of holes right now. That the the survey of ideas in the Bible surrounding meditation. So we're not we're not done with our survey yet. Uh, we've got a little more analysis to do. So the next lesson will be on the significance of our thoughts. And then the lesson after that, I hope to get to a definition of what biblical meditation is. So you have to stay tuned. What other ideas do you have? Any other thoughts or questions about meditation? Yeah. Just one thought is one of the reasons we listen to sermons and read our Bibles and read it, it certainly is, yeah. So, at least we're thinking about, say, what Bruce has preached on, you know, that's sort of, you know, that chewing on it, or thinking about it, that's one form of meditation. It is, and I think that that'll be the topic of Lesson 6, if I remember correctly, so we're going to get to quite a bit of that idea right there. So I guess this is I think often you think of meditation, you heard emptying your mind as part of meditation. I think Christian meditation has content. It has a lot of content, yep. It's not just thinking right. thoughts or something. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So we, there, there are a lot more questions about meditation, but uh, if we start with practical things on meditation without understanding the importance of meditation, I think we may end up not sensing the great duty upon us so that we don't waste our lives. And my hope is that our lives will not be wasted, nor our thoughts. Um, all right, do we have any other questions or comments? Oh, Vicki? Will you be including um, some list of books by Puritans that you could recommend on this topic? Uh, I can, yes. I have a pretty good uh, bibliography. Uh, it, there's a lot of things written 
uh, about this. Uh, some more helpful than others, but yes, they. I, I will say the Puritans spent a great deal of time thinking about meditation. There's also been uh, a very good book, uh, Reformation Heritage, I think is the one that did it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're the one that did it, uh, who did a survey of what the Puritans wrote, and so he has a, a lot of information there. Um, God's battle plan for the mind, something along those lines. But I'll, I'll have some of those references and materials for you guys. Uh, if you want to explore more on this. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts or comments?